You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone, to Real Presence Live on a Thursday. Father James Gross from the Diocese of Fargo joining you from our Grand Forks studios on a uh, mostly sunny mild but crisp uh, winter morning but uh, for pretty much all of you who are listening to this it's been uh, an exceptionally mild winter either slightly or uh, exceptionally and um, definitely that trend is continuing today. Uh, Before we get into our next segment just a reminder of some of these wonderful events that Real Presence Radio is going to be hosting throughout the region in the next couple of weeks. On February 20th, which is next week, Tuesday, there will be a banquet in Aberdeen, South Dakota with Joe Heschmeyer. Uh, then the following Monday, February 26th, please join us in Fargo. Cy Kellett will be our uh, keynote speaker. And then the following week, March 5th, in uh, Duluth, Minnesota. Uh, Deacon Harold Berksevers will be uh, joining the group there, so please uh, log on to realpresenceradio.com. There's still time to join those wonderful banquets and to uh, be part of those events. So we have with us here our usual guests, uh, minus, uh, my, um, minus my co-host Father Leffer today. For our saunter down literary lane, we have Nancy Gord back with us. Welcome back to Real Presence Live. Oh, thank you. It's always a pleasure to be here. And we also have Father William Slattery, a priest of the Diocese of Fargo. Welcome back, Father. Thank you. Yep, it's great to be with you this morning. And we're going to be discussing uh, a legendary novel entitled A Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens. And before we get into the actual content of the novel itself, I think it's important to look at the uh, life and and the influence of the author. I've heard numerous people say that they likely cannot think of an author in the English language in the 19th century who was more widely read than Charles Dickens. And uh, it doesn't seem like a stretch to say that when you look at uh, his body of work and the uh, influence that uh, several of his works continue to have. So, um, Nancy, why don't you go ahead and get us started with um, some of the things that really stand out about um, the, the life of Charles Dickens? Well, first of all, he was a great storyteller. You know, he created unforgettable characters. He was a master at weaving a plot. Now, he's not necessarily a quick read with his particular diction and his 19th century style, but he is so worth the effort. And so many of things that occurred in his life affected his writing. Uh, His father and family were put in a debtor's prison. He worked in a factory from age 12. And his um, mother was not very quick to see that that he was removed from that factory work. He uh, was a social reformer and philanthropist. Uh, he championed uh, women's access to opportunity. Uh, you know, he wrote 15 novels, many short stories, and of course, A Christmas Carol is a perennial holiday favorite. And one more little thing about his life, he was known for taking extraordinarily long walks through the city of London. Uh Aha. 
and also when you look at um, his his experience, one might think that as an as a, an accomplished author, he would have had a privileged or Tony existence in his youth. But uh, um, nothing could be farther from the truth. Um, Father Slattery, any things that uh, like distinguishing characteristics that uh, stand out that you would like to share? Yeah, uh, with, especially with Dickens, uh, in in the time in which he's writing, uh, he he does tend to like to write historical fictions, um, and they're kind of of the of the current day in which he's living, um, which is uh, kind of uh, marked by a lot of change that's happening, and especially London, England, and France and Europe um, with the Industrial Revolution and the French Revolution, kind of the uh, passing away of Christendom and the forging of these kind of new arising nations and empires and so uh he 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 just has this uh great way of like writing and breaking into everyday life and i think for him it's uh seeing in all these struggles kind of the 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 rise of uh of this kind of growing concern and modernity of the equality of 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 mankind um in face of a lot of uh tendencies both historically and uh historically in the current day of uh Mm-hmm. of of uh, class distinction uh of of un- unjust unjust treatment so and I think it's important to note that A Tale of Two Cities, perhaps more so than most of his other works, is designed as a historical novel, mm-hmm. really kind of a period piece, just um, not very long prior to his life, but uh, in, in a previous generation. Um, just to uh, state the obvious, the two cities about whose tales uh, he tells are uh, Paris and London, and within the, the late 18th century. So could you just kind of start us off... Um, um, Nancy, by uh, getting us into the um, kind of the overarching plot and setting in which this novel takes place. Absolutely. Now, this historical novel involves characters who are involved in the worlds of finance and law, and also the Manette family. And the story moves between Paris and London during the years leading up to and including the French Revolution and the Reign of Terror. Now, they include a former prisoner of the Bastille and an aristocrat who has denounced and rejected his family name. The paths of these characters are interwoven in true Dickensian fashion, and their connections are revealed as the story unfolds. And Father Slattery... um uh, anything uh, to add about that particular kind of introduction? Uh, just, I think uh, the the main the main tensions here are going to be uh, obviously the the French Revolution at uh, the time period of like all the the social change that brings, and especially between uh, kind of figures within that of uh, of aristocracy and those who uh, who both in in England would be uh, kind of supportive of. Uh, of the former regime, um, and then kind of those who are just kind of caught in this reign of terror, right? Uh, and it kind of harkens back, if you think of uh, other other works from this time period, of like the Scarlet Pimpernel, um, you have mm-hmm. kind of these, these these figures that I think uh, kind of are, are individuals who are just kind of caught in this net of, uh, of the circumstances of their life, um, yet are trying to pursue and find uh, both meaning, and, and you see like kind of a great sacrifice for for the good of, 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 
of, of others, right? And I think we're going to be able to talk about it a little bit later of, of how these characters are really involved in and being able to kind of sacrifice to protect each other um, in the face of a lot of conflict. Mm-hmm. It's uh, hard to... Uh, go ahead, Nancy. Uh, I was just going to say, this is really a story about injustice and the class struggle. And if you talk about the ty- dichotomies, London is, is sort of looked at as a refuge, but we have to remember that London had class struggle as well, and Dickens addresses this very much in his novels. In addition to the injustice and the class struggle, this is a great revenge story. And on our segment, we have discussed The Count of Monte Cristo and Hamlet, both revenge stories. But but this is one of a slow-burning revenge, mm-hmm. and I most notice it embodied in Madame Defarge. Right, right. Now, I um, I was going to say it's it's hard to speak about this novel without uh, alluding to the uh, opening sentences, which have become very famous. Uh, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. We had everything before us. We had nothing before us. We were all going direct to heaven. We were all going direct the other way. In short, the period was so far like the present period that some of its noisiest authorities insisted on its being received for good or for evil in the superlative degree of comparison only. Uh, Kind of a whopper of of an introduction, you might say Mm -hmm. there. Um, What kind of uh, images do you think uh, Dickens is trying to convey by uh, beginning the novel that way? Well, I do think whenever there is a revolution, and whether you look at the Russian Revolution or you look at the French Revolution, the American Revolution, there is such hope. And there is such an idea of the cleansing of the past for a brighter future. But it's so often it involves blood and violence and loss. And so with that hope, you get the actual destruction and despair as well. And in terms of the dichotomies, you even look at the characters. And as different as they may seem, they have similarities. Lucy and Madame Defarge both love their family members very much. And both of them have been sentenced, basically, to death in terms of the family members they have who have suffered. And uh, and, and you also see it in Sidney Carton and, and Darnay. They're two totally different men, but both of them love Lucy. So for all the differences, there are similarities. Family pain, love for another. Mm -hmm. Father Slattery, any uh, thoughts following up on that? Yeah, I think I'll just uh, kind of harken back. I'm reading uh, also, again, the the Les Miserables, and uh, when when, uh, Victor Hugo writes about the Battle of Waterloo, it's kind of the same thing of just this idea of, like, uh, a sense of progress, I think, that was kind of popular in that time period of, like, writers um, who are talking about that uh, experience of uh, the the reign of terror, the return of Napoleon, uh, you know, all these things, and then the kind of way that history has to settle with it of you do have kind of these ways of sorting the good and the bad. Um, and then within the characters as well, as I think, as Nancy said, of, like, these right. dichotomies are, are, are lived and expressed. They're real. Um there's, again, there's good good mm-hmm. desires and instincts in them. 
um, there's also the reality of their own individual sufferings that uh, that Dickens gives us yep. in their interests. Yeah. Dickens gives us a definite uh, perspective on a tumultuous time, you know, in in that part of the world. And uh, we're going to step aside uh, now for a break. But when we return, we're going to look at some of the specific characters and how maybe from a a Catholic perspective, we um, glean uh, inspiration and uh, can see see their virtue at work. So we're speaking about the uh, epic novel, A Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens. We have Nancy Gord and Father William. Slattery with us, and we'll continue the conversation after this break. You're listening to Real Presence Live. Stay with us. There's more Real Presence Live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network. Did you know you can listen to the RPR Network when you're on the go? Just search for Real Presence Radio in your app store. Listen live to any station across the network at any time, so you can stay connected to your local community from wherever you are. Plus, if you miss a program, the Real Presence Radio app is your one-stop shop for local and national podcasts, including our signature show, Real Presence Live. The Real Presence Radio app, with you every step of your faith journey. Download it today and see what you've been missing. Have you ever known someone who has taken their own life? 50% of Americans have. I'm Father Chris Alar. For years, professionals have called the tragedy of suicide an epidemic, but we believe it has become a pandemic because more people in the world take their own life than die by all the wars or homicides combined. Do you know that there are more veterans who have killed themselves than were killed in the Vietnam War? And these numbers keep increasing, especially among the youth. And society doesn't help. Through misguided ways, such as shows like 13 Reasons Why, suicide has become glorified in our society. But there is hope. Please visit suicideandhope.com so I can personally pray for anyone you've lost and to get our book, After Suicide, There's Hope for Them and You, which helps with any kind of suffering or loss, not just suicide. I promise it will help. Did you know you can listen to Real Presence Live anytime on any podcast platform? Just search for Real Presence Radio on platforms such as Spotify, Apple Music, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and on the Real Presence Radio website. Then subscribe so you don't miss any future shows. If you like what you hear, give us a good rating so other people can find us as well. Real Presence Radio, your family of faith and hope. This is Real Presence Live on the RPR Network, bringing you stories of faith and hope through local hosts and guests from across the Upper Midwest. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone, to Real Presence Live. Father James Gross joining you today from the Diocese of Fargo and our Grand Fork Studios as we have Nancy Gord and Father Slattery with us talking about A Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens. And I feel like a little bit of a confession is is necessary here because Nancy had uh, briefly mentioned that um, uh, a book of this kind is not uh, a fast or or a breezy kind of read that it uh, can become laborious 
and and honestly that was really my uh relation to it in terms of uh, working through the novel it uh, it had tedious moments it, in in various moments i think it was something of a slog not to say that it isn't rewarding but um i think what's going on here is that there is this assortment of characters and it didn't really seem all that intuitive at times that we were moving from one scene or one setting to the next, and and it required a little bit of um, uh, research, I guess, on my part to uh, kind of keep the uh, scorecard straight <laughs> in terms mm-hmm. of uh, who in in terms of uh, who is who is who and and things like that. But um, one person that particularly stands out uh, is uh, the character of Sidney Carton, who um, really is not all that. Um, meritorious at the beginning he receives this nickname the jackal he has this uh hard drinking cynical sort of um uh vibe about him and stuff tell us uh if one of you wants to jump in and tell us a little bit about him and um uh his significance father slattery would you like to yeah, talk about sydney yeah. yeah so i guess with uh with sydney again one of the principal kind of characters in the plot um, as you kind of mentioned, uh, Father, right, it kind of is uh, a little bit of a, a hard character um, in the beginning with, like, again, the roughness of his personality, um, again, the nickname the Jackal, um, again, because he, he seems to uh, kind of, with his legal legal work, um, he, he kind of usually uses things and works it to his own end. Um, but what, what kind of becomes a redeeming kind of quality with, with Carton is uh Again, is, is love, especially for uh, for for Lucy and her her children. Um, again, there's this, this real sense of uh, I guess that unrequited love that he has for her because she uh, obviously loves uh, Charles Darnay, and then, again they marry. Um, but he he remains kind of constant in his his affection, and it's kind of I think through you see uh, Carton like the the way that love finds its completion. Um, not in self-interest, but in the interest of others, that becomes the redeeming part about his character. Um, in the end, um, you know, while, again, Lucy's family is caught in this uh, kind of web, and I think Nancy's going to talk about that, but he becomes kind of the instrument of deliverance, um, uh, taking the place um, uh, of, of her, her husband, and then um, is, is, again, tried, and then is going to be executed. And you see just the depth of, like, that willingness to enter into someone else's uh, a kind of a condemnation, right? It shows this kind of Christ-like quality that's there of, again, the self-interest, the lack of self-interest of love, the love of the other is to do, desire their good. And uh, this is kind of uh, Carton's uh, redeeming quality. Um, and it's just to such a great extent in all these little ways of, uh, of being able to sacrifice himself um, for others. Um, and even at the end, um, when he's uh, to be executed, you know, his last act is to give comfort to the seamstress who is also um, to be executed and is innocent. Um, and so you see this just uh, kind of uh, unfolding of generosity that comes through the, the inclination to love. And I believe that line toward the end is his, uh, "'Tis a far, far better thing I do than I have done before," and uh, yeah, et cetera. Yeah. Kind of his final uh, testament, you might say. Yeah. Right. And then the possibility of redemption is there. Yeah. I think right. Great. Oh, absolutely. And leading up that, that night, uh, leading up to his replacing Darnay in the prison cell, because it's so interesting how Dickens weaves these characters into the plot, 
because two spies who appeared early on in the novel appear again at the end, and they actually help Sidney Carton with this replacement because he's going to take his place. They resemble each other a great deal. And But the night before that's going to take place, how he walks throughout the city, and Paris is a very dangerous city at this point, but how he talks about, I am the resurrection and the life. And these lines come over and over to him, over and over again to his mind. But, you know, it's interesting because Lucy, even if her husband says kind of a remark that is somewhat unkind about Carton, she defends him because she has seen good in that man. Mm-hmm. And she knows the depth of his love. But, um, no, you just contrast him with someone like Madame Defarge, who is so bent on her revenge. And in all fairness to Madame Defarge, who is not a fair person herself, but her family underwent terrible violence, violent events. Her sister, her brother, her father. And Dr. Manette gets tied up in all of this. So she holds on to that family uh, tragedy in this simmering anger and this determination. And the very famous scene throughout the book where she is knitting, knitting, knitting. <laughs> and you talk about a web. She yep. knits that web of names <laughs> to be executed. So I, and I feel so much for her family and what they went through. And if you want to talk about a depiction of the class suffering and struggles, that scene that depicts what uh, Darnay's father and uncle did it's very, very clear how much the lower classes suffered. Right. Any follow-ups to that, uh, Father? No, and I think uh, I think these, these figures, and uh, you see, like, kind of those, uh, as we go back to that the beginning of minds, right, of, like, it was the best of times and the worst of times, mm-hmm. right, you see kind of those, like, that tension in society of, like, those who um, have incredibly suffered through this, of, like, this, like, how do you, how do you, respond to that how do you respond to that right and there's that natural inclination to revenge and then i think there's the natural well it would be supernatural inclination of mercy um and and like again for a nation to come forward i think this is like what lies kind of with the dickens and other writers of like the the progress that we can make out of this is we have to come to a subtype of healing right and so there are there are kind of heroes um in these tales and even though the villains are very human um, there's that instinct of revenge ultimately leads to destruction. Sure. Indeed, indeed. So we just have a couple of minutes left to go in this segment. It might be a good time to summarize some of the um, uh, general takeaways uh, from the novel, maybe some uh, additional observations that we haven't yet uh, touched on. Uh, Nancy, what uh, comes to mind as far as that goes for you? Well, I will always think of this novel as having one of the most Christ-like literary characters you could come across. Also, I have a great fondness for some of the secondary characters, like Mr. Laurie, who is so dedicated to the Manette family and lives a long life supporting them and their needs. Uh, is it Miss Pross, who is the one who takes care of, of Lucy as a young person and then is very loyal to them? So there are fascinating secondary characters you remember as well. But I've got to tell you, again, I'm going to reference the book, How to Read Literature Like a Professor. Irony trumps everything. 
And how ironic it is, it is that Dr. Manette is the one who condemns Darnay. Yes. Yes, indeed. Well, we just have a couple of minutes left here in our discussion, and I thought it might be good to just um, give our listeners a little bit of a window in some of the ongoing discussion that we are having. Um, The good news for those who really have come to enjoy this segment is that we are definitely intending to continue this on, as far as possible, a monthly basis. And uh, Nancy and Father, we definitely have you to thank primarily for your commitment to this. So among uh, the four of us, uh, you two, Father Leffer, and and uh, me, um, we are uh, working on putting together a list that would probably take us at least through the rest of the calendar year or something uh, so, something close to that. Uh, we haven't figured out exactly you know, what's going to make the final cut and uh, when they're going to be coming up, but we hope to be able to make available on our website a uh, rundown of the various books that we are planning to speak about in months uh, to come so that listeners who want to gear up for that and maybe you know would like to read some of these uh, along with us are able to do so. Some of the titles we can tell you are very notable as A Tale of Two Cities, something that would be like on the top of the marquee, so to speak. Others are um, various titles that you may never have heard of, but uh, have a, a positive contribution to make. And we are always looking at this with an eye to uh, how they resonate with uh, our relationship with God and and um, you know and our faith so um, I uh, just want to say a word of thanks uh, to Nancy and to Father Slattery uh, as we are moving forward to try to figure this out I guess we're going to need to decide who you know has the final word <laughs> in terms of it but um but but all of us are throwing out a, a, a handful of suggestions each that I think we're going to be rather uh, democratically working into this list. So um, I know I am looking forward to uh, uh, to continuing this in maybe a more meth- methodical way, and uh, I'm I'm grateful for your for your assistance with that too. Well, you are most welcome. It's it's been my pleasure all along to participate in these discussions. Fantastic. Well, Nancy and Father Slattery, thank you so much for taking time, and uh, we will look forward to visiting with you next time. All right. Well, thank you, Father. Yes, indeed. Yes, have a great day. You bet. So, as we uh, step aside here, we have finished the first hour of broadcast, and we are going to be having a conversation about the National Eucharistic Congress. Bishop Cousins alluded to it in our discussion um, not very long ago, and so we're going to have Bob Noel from uh, the Diocese of Crookston telling us about the particular plans that they're making. And keep in mind, no matter what diocese you belong to, virtually all of them are putting together a pilgrimage experience for the National Eucharistic Congress in mid-July in Indianapolis. Bob is going to be joining us on the other side of this break. You're listening to Real Presence Live. Real Presence Live.